Welcome to our latest webinar for corporates. In this series, we'll be examining recent events and looking ahead at what might be in store for financial markets and the economy. Thank you and welcome everybody to our April instalment of the FX webinar series. So the, uh, the question that we're asking today is about the rise that we've seen in global yields and the response that we've seen from some central banks um, to that rise in global yields and whether that response was merited or indeed whether that response that, that we've seen um, is unwarranted given the fact that what we're really seeing is a recovery in the global economy. So, if we look at the slide set um, and uh, we look at the contents of the slide, we're going to do a quick review of what's happening with regard to infections and vaccinations, uh, and then we'll get into the, the meat of that question about rising yields. Um, has that, that rise been arrested by the actions that we've seen from some central banks, or do we expect to see further rises in yields, and what will that mean um, in terms of the, the economic response? We'll also look at growth expectations, which is timely since we've just had the IMF's numbers released. Uh, and then we'll look at fiscal policy. One of the things that we've seen announced since the last, since the March webinar um, has been uh, a significant change of direction as far as fiscal policy is concerned in some areas. So if we move on to the next slide and look at first the infections data that we've had uh, being released over the, 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 the course of recent uh, uh, months or recent weeks and months rather. And what that demonstrates is that those countries that seemingly have got a more developed um, and more mature vaccination program are seeing a general decline in rates of infections. The UK on this slide is, is the best performing, um, but obviously if we were to include countries, some of those in the Middle East, um, the likes of Israel uh, as well, then you would see the rates of infections there even lower. And that's despite a much greater unlocking of some of those economies. Um, the infection rates in much of Europe are rising. I think uh, predominantly because of, of seasonality more than anything else. Uh, at this time of year, there's a greater prevalence of, of respiratory diseases. And so consequently, similar to what we saw in the initial phase of the pandemic, um, you are seeing a rise in infection levels, but you, you have seen a reaction to that from a number of governments in Europe. So you would expect those to peak over coming weeks and, and then start to drop away. And again, as the, the weather improves and as it warms up, you'd expect those rates of, of transmission to drop back. The other point to, to note as well um, is that... Yes, I am. Apologies. I think you lost me there. I think my broadband has just dropped out, um, sadly. So I'm not sure where... Uh, where we got to, but um, I'll just do, do a quick review of that first slide, um, just talking about the, um, uh, the the numbers that we would expect to see the numbers of infections dropping across Western Europe as the weather improves, um, and that will allow for a reopening of economies into the second quarter. And the good news is, is that even without that reopening um, of the economies, what we're seeing at the moment um, would seem to suggest that economies have held up better um, than they held up previously um, in, in, in previous lockdowns. So on a services and manufacturing basis, 
um, you're actually seeing an expansion across European serv- uh, ma- ma- uh, on, uh, across European manufacturing on a services basis. You're, see- you're seeing quite a sizable expansion in services in the UK over the last month or so. Um, and um, in Europe, they're, they're getting back to almost uh, a, 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 a rise in activity. You're still seeing a small contraction, however. Um, Q2 should see the economic activity rates pick up sharply. And uh, and I would anticipate that, that any lost economic output in Q1 um, will be recouped in the second quarter. That's regardless of whether you're talking about the UK um, or Europe. Um, and we would expect to see the, the US building on their recovery in Q1 into the second and third quarters, although the pace of economic activity may well slow from there. Um, why is that? Well, if we move on to the next slide, um, then this shows COVID vaccinations and the uh, the numbers per 100 of, uh, of uh, uh, head of population. Uh, you will see that all of the, the, these are moving in the right direction. The angles are starting to increase as well. It's even improving in the European Union that's come in for some criticism in the UK media. Um, and I would expect that the second quarter will see a lot more vaccine doses delivered to the European Union and uh, that will help the Euroland recovery. So they'll, they'll start to catch up what we see in terms of the, uh, the, the, the rapid pace that we've seen from the likes of the US uh, and the UK. There's going to be more choice on vaccines as well. You've got the Novovax uh, vaccine in the UK potentially being um, uh, given approval by uh, the MHRA uh, as, as soon as the next few weeks. You've got the Johnson & Johnson vaccine that's coming on stream for Euroland at some point in the second quarter, hopefully early in the second quarter. Moderna has uh, has just started being used in the UK uh, and again will likely be used in the European Union over the second quarter. So there's more vaccine choice and therefore more doses that are likely to be on offer over the course of um, the second quarter and into the remainder of 2021. So that's the the, the positive news, that if we now move on to the next slide and look at yields um, that could be responsible for the the rise that we've seen in yields. Um, So whether it's five-year yields, 10-year yields, or even longer-dated yields, you have seen an increase um, in the cost of borrowing for governments across the board, and that acts as a bellwether, acts as a uh, benchmark for corporate borrowing costs as well. So you're seeing that there is an increase in, in the cost of borrowing, or there has been an increase in the cost of borrowing over the course of the last few months. Now, the interesting and intriguing thing here as well is that you haven't really seen a significant divergence between um, the uh, longer-dated yields and the shorter-dated yields. So what this suggests is is that from a market sentiment perspective, um, there is going to be a relatively rapid recovery in most economies. And that recovery is anticipated if you look at the Bank of England or the IMF or or, or other austere um, uh, forecasters. 
and revered forecasters, you know, they're, they're suggesting that you're going to be able to recoup all of the lost economic output for all of these economies by the end of 2022, and in most cases, well before that. So in the US's case, you know, the expectation is that the lost output will be recouped uh, before the end of this year. In the UK's case, the Bank of England are suggesting that uh, by the end of the first quarter, uh, quarter of 2022, the UK will have recovered all of its lost output as well. Um, And even in Euroland, it's only a quarter or so later before they recoup all of their lost output. So that rise in yields is probably down as much to, to that confidence about economic recovery as it is about fears over inflation. But I do think that that there are some fears over inflation. We saw it, for example, in some of the PMI data, that input and output prices do seem to be rising. Um, And there is a a potential short-term uh, hit uh, to inflation coming from this recovery um, where supplies might, might actually be under some pressure compared with demand. Over the last 15 or 20 years, it's been the case that, that supply has always outstripped demand, which has helped to keep prices low. Um, but over the, the course of, uh, of at least the next 12 months or so, we could see an uptick in price inflation pressures, um, which could further increase yields from here. There is There are things that central banks could do, and we've seen that. For instance, the European Central Bank has accelerated the pace of its asset purchase program for the next few months at least. Um, you've seen that discussed by the Federal Reserve and the Bank of England. They chose not to do that. You saw the Reserve Bank of Australia do a similar thing to try and arrest the rise in its yield curve as well. Uh, so so it, is, it is possible, it is within the realms of, of or the scope of the current policies that they have in situ for central banks to be able to arrest rising yields the only question is will that uh, will that actually reverse the trend in rising yields or will it just postpone it delay it for a further few months or quarters and i think it's much more the latter which is why you've seen the federal reserve and the bank of england somewhat reluctant to get involved in intervening in bond markets more aggressively than they already are um, to buy themselves only a few months or a couple of quarters of time before yields rise anyway um, so I don't think we're going to see more activity from central banks with regard to this. And you could see a further upward drift in yield over the coming month as we get building expectations and solid evidence of the economic recoveries in situ for, for all of these major economies. So if we look at the next slide, and that's looking at uh, growth and, and how it will perform against expectations. Uh, well, growth is expected uh, to be robust in, in all of the major economies, according to the IMF's January uh, forecast. Now, it's worthwhile mentioning that the UK growth forecasts have now, for 2021 and 2022, both been revised over Um, 5%. UK growth in 2021 is now expected to be, uh, I believe, 5.3%, and in 2022 expected to be around 5.1%. So a more robust recovery, according to the IMF, but that's still not as robust as the Bank of England and, uh, I believe, the Office for Budget Responsibility expect the economic recovery to be. Um, As for the U.S., 
and uh, and less so for Euroland. I think the U.S. is going to struggle to maintain the pace uh, of economic recovery into the, the 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 later stages, the last few months at least of 2021, because it will probably have picked all of the low-hanging fruit by by that point, and the um, uh, the likelihood is that uh, growth in 2022 for the U.S. is going to be far more uh, disappointing than we we are likely to see in, in other economies. Worthwhile mentioning is, as well that for Euroland, um, the, the growth numbers were revised up only marginally. So from 4.2 to 4.4%, from 36 to 3.8%. So less, a much lower rate of economic growth than we're expecting in the other two major economies that are that are highlighted here. There is one other sort of question mark because if you're expecting a relatively rapid recovery and recoup of of lost economic output, why then are the labour markets not expected to recover anywhere near as quickly? Um, and and the simple fact behind that is that ultimately the the labor markets are in part being replaced by automation. The output that's lost isn't necessarily the output that's being added back. So there's some change in behaviors that that are taking place. Um, But businesses have found that they are able to operate more efficiently with a lower workforce because of COVID and as a consequence will not necessarily be employing uh, the same number of staff back. But I just want to highlight one specific point in in, in those points that that I've um, emphasized, which is the change in behaviors. You know, if you look at the numbers out of the UK retail sector, uh, as an example, the change in behaviours that we've seen from the consumer are that they've been shopping less frequently, but they've been buying more. Um, and also, the, the, the biggest change in behaviour is how much more they've been buying online. Um, so we, we've seen this in terms of uh, the figures from the, the Office for National Statistics that internet sales as a percentage of uh, of, of total retail sales prior to the pandemic um, were running at just sub uh, 20%, at around 19.1%. Um, they reached a peak in January 2021 of 36.3%, falling back to 34.5%. One would anticipate, even with the reopening of retail, that the the percentage of total retail sales that are internet sales is is going to be at least in the mid twenties by the time all of this is over and done with, and again that will seriously affect the amount of people employed within the retail sector, and that's despite the fact that that, that I estimate that there's somewhere in the ballpark of sixty billion pounds. Um, of uh, additional funds available to consumers to deploy once um, non-essential retail and and, and services are reopened. Um, And that will be one of the key triggers for for the UK's recovery. And that's one of the reasons why I think the UK could outperform expectations and probably has more likelihood of outperforming expectations versus Euroland and the US. 
You know, the US, the economy hasn't been locked down for any length of, uh, of time. There hasn't been, apart from the uh, individual stimulus packages, which are uh, temporary, a significant boost to the consumer's uh, firepower uh, that they can deploy in terms of spending more to lift the, the US economy to stronger rates of economic growth over the course of 2021 and beyond. I just wanted to, to now look at the next slide, which is fiscal policy. Um, and we have seen some significant changes with regard to, uh, to what uh, fiscal authorities like the UK Treasury, like the US Treasury, and like the uh, uh, fiscal uh, or finance ministers of the uh, European Union have talked about. And they're all talking about not only higher levels of spending, but also higher levels of taxation. So this chart, which I've uh, taken from the OBR's March report, shows where the UK was in 2009 on corporate taxation, where they were in 2017, and where they're expected to be as far as corporate tax rates in 2023. You see that we don't get back to where we were prior um, uh, to the um, big cuts that we saw brought in by the previous Conservative administration under David Cameron. Um, however, we are expected to be much further up the spectrum as far as corporate taxes are concerned versus our near neighbours and versus our competitors, competitor economies across the West and also into Latin America um, and also in Asia. Now, here's the other thing that I think is interesting. This chart doesn't include the uh, multi-year, in fact, multi-decade uh, US president's plan for economic transformation. The jobs and investment program that he's launched, he launched it last week, that was worth $2.25 trillion upwards um, and is going to see corporate taxes rise from current level of 21% up to 28% over 15 years. You know, th what this suggests is, is that fiscal policy is going to be more interventionist um, than it has been previously. So this is a big sea change in terms of how governments consider fiscal policy over the, the course of the next decade or so at the very least. They're going to be uh, more receptive, more open to raising taxes and using the monies from those, those tax increases in order to support uh, larger amounts of government spending in specific areas. Um, and so that's whether that's the UK or whether that's countries across Euroland and, and the European Union or into uh, the US, I think we will see Western governments take a more interventionist approach as far as fiscal policy is concerned. And, and I just thought that that in, in, in terms of um, the, the rising yields debate, the potential for that to, to further increase yields, I think, shouldn't be overlooked. So we've got a two-pronged attack here as far as yields are concerned. There's going to be a reduction in the amount of monetary support to try and suppress yields over time, over the next sort of two or three years. But there's also going to be a lot more fiscal spending driven in part by tax increases 
um, than we've become used to as well. So just watch out for that in terms of its effect on yields, because I think it could be fairly substantive. Um, then the final slide is um, uh, the FX forecast slides, as, as we would normally uh, indicate and, and this shows that our views haven't really changed that much although we we have become a little bit more positive on sterling why is sterling expected to be a bit stronger against the uh the us dollar and also against the euro well simply the, the uk's vaccine program is more developed than it was anticipated to be at this juncture. In mo most central expectations were not for the UK to be this far along in terms of vaccination. So we've beaten those forecasts, which means that the strength of the recovery as evidenced by the IMF's numbers is likely to be greater than it was previously forecast. Um, the, the other uh, thing that I would to highlight with regard to this is we've got a slightly lower peak in euro dollar um the the problem with that is that uh, the problem with the euro is um that i think that they are potentially going to be an outlier versus the uk and us in terms of their policy uh, i don't think that they're go they're going to be able to ratchet back on public spending quite as quickly as the us and uk do and i also don't think that they're going to be able to uh, relax from the the monetary loosening that is already in situ mainly because they are going to be at least a couple of months behind as far as the vaccine program is concerned which means that they're going to miss out on quite a sizable portion if not all of the summer uh, in terms of the growth that we're likely to see there and that they, they, they could well be more cautious with regard to um, the uh, the progress uh, of the, uh, the the Eurolands recovery and the vaccination program uh, going forward so just just I think there is there is room for a slightly weaker euro than we've been previously forecasting uh, and finally we have revised our forecast for things like dollar yen uh, just in light of some of the troubles and difficulties that we've seen in uh, Japan lately I think that that does uh, uh, support a weaker yen against the dollar and against other majors uh, not for the foreseeable future but for the next few quarters at least uh, and of course one of the, the, the big pluses that was expected to be see, seen for Japan over the course of this year, meant to be last year, um, uh, is the Olympic Games, which are due to be held in the uh, the late summer. And that might cause some, uh, uh, some real difficulties for Japan if, and I stress the if, if it um, is either only domestic audiences that are allowed to attend um, or no audiences at all, as in that the vaccine program is not sufficiently advanced um, to allow there to be any mass gatherings, you know, that can have a significantly negative effect on expected revenues from the Olympics um, and therefore have a negative effect on the Japanese economy. So that's just another reason why we've uh, we've highlighted that. And then, uh, uh, and this is finally as far as this table this forecast table is concerned um, we would anticipate that the emerging markets will remain weak uh, the, the the figures still suggest um, that there's a significant 
portion of lost output that won't be recovered this year or even into uh, the whole of 2022. Um, we have seen pressure, for example, on uh, currencies like the Turkish lira. Now, that is down to uh, excessive inflation and um, political interference at the central bank. Um, but I think it's also down to the, to, to the lost economic output. And again, if they lose a sizable portion of the summer months or all of the summer months because of the problems around um, uh, 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 around COVID, um, then that could have a significantly ne negative effect on their, their economic recovery uh, going forward. So, you know, that's just just one 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 final point. Um, I, d I, I would also argue um, that emerging markets will be hopeful that the uh, Western economies do follow through with their promises on uh, vaccines and, and and global vaccine programs. Thus far, I think because. Western economies are falling behind or some Western economies have slipped behind where they would want to be, uh, there isn't necessarily going to be the same level of um, uh, vaccine benevolence as one would have expected previously. Thanks very much for listening to the webinar. We hope you found it informative. The next in the series will be available shortly.